Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In episode one, we'll be interviewing Dr. Laurie Mintz, who will be helping us to become cliterate. Then I'll be reviewing the book I'm reading now, which is The Real Self-Love Handbook by Dr. Andrea Pennington. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation using clitoral gratitude affirmations. But first, let me tell you about my very own clitoral awakening. Let me tell you about my clitoral awakening. I remember having my very first orgasms from a very young age. I used to have nocturnal orgasms. I don't remember when it started exactly. And also I was half asleep. So it almost seemed like a blur to me. I would wake up in the darkness and feel these delicious spasms between my legs. It was rhythmic, rhythmical. I'm not sure if that's a word, rhythmical, rhythmic. These spasms were just very, it almost felt like I had to rub myself against a pillow to make them subside. It was a sensation I didn't really know how to deal with, to be honest. And then I would fall asleep again. So when I finally woke up in the morning, that nocturnal episode had almost been forgotten. It was just a blur to me. I don't remember any erotic dreams. I think I was too young to even conceive of erotic dreams when it started happening to me. It was purely a physical reaction. And I must confess that as a teenager, I never masturbated. I I did re- recognize these feelings through my body of being aroused, but I never really masturbated. And when I was with guys, first kisses and all of those things you do in bike, behind bike sheds. Um, it wasn't really about anything sexual. It was more about maybe validation or just doing what everyone else was doing. So my episodes of sexual pleasure were very much very mysterious to me and um, something I discovered alone and uh, when I was half asleep. Anyway, a few min- year- <laughs> Anyway, a few years later, when I started having sex, the second time I had sex, the first time was disastrous. It was over um, very quickly. And I was drunk, so I could hardly, I just um, didn't really register the episode. But the second time I had sex, I was not anticipating any pain. I was very relaxed. I was very relaxed. I was in love. And I was in a hotel. It was Valentine's Day. My boyfriend at the time had just told me he loved me. So I was, everything was perfect. And I just didn't imagine that sex could be so pleasurable. I had no idea. The penetration for me was just the most pleasurable experience or sensation I'd ever encountered in my entire life. And the sensation was very different from those orgasms I'd had nocturnally. They were kind of like spasms around the clitoris. It was more of an external sensation, whereas penetration was deep. It was just the sensation of having my first boyfriend's hard penis inside me was just instantly orgasmic. And also, I just remember feeling that it was a spot really deep in my vagina that anytime it was stimulated, it was was just so orgasmic, instant orgasms and also multiple orgasms. So although that was wonderful, it did make me a little bit reliant on men for my orgasms because I didn't actually masturbate. 
And also at the time I got my sex education from women's magazines because at school, there's no such thing as orgasm. There's no such thing as the clitoris. So obviously those things were ignored. So I got all my information from women's magazines and also no internet either. And I remember in all the magazines that I was reading, um, they used to talk about orgasm being vaginal or clitoral. So I assumed that, oh, I'm vaginal then. And I completely forgot about my clitoris, even though I was still having from time to time those nocturnal episodes of clitoral orgasms. And of course, Freud was talking about clitoral and vaginal orgasms as well. So I was also studying psychology, even though they didn't really talk about orgasm in my in my class, in my Catholic sixth form. But that's what I was telling, that's what I was reading anyway in my in the women's magazines. So I kind of closed the door on half of my orgasmic possibilities because of that. And then for many years, I was sometimes ended up in relationships that were really good sexually, but toxic emotionally, just because I was kind of almost dependent on that sensation, or I liked it a lot at least. It just made me feel so alive. And I was always someone who genuinely enjoyed sex. And I wanted to talk about it to my friends. And they looked at me like I had two heads that as if they didn't really know what I was talking about when I was talking about this thing being so pleasurable. And the girls who were having a lot of sex were just doing it for validation. I was never really into being promiscuous. I was more into kind of having a boyfriend and just having really good sex and creating this emotional cocoon of intimacy. And then within that cocoon, just having lots of sex, basically, that was very, very, very satisfying. So anyway, that was all great, but not so great when you're in a relationship that's that's toxic. And um, I started to question why I was doing this all the time. And I started to think maybe this was not a good idea to end up in such relationships. And I just left a guy who, with whom I'd had amazing sex. And I went to, I, I was living with him and then I went to live with a friend. And we were watching that famous uh, scene from Sex and the City when they go shopping for the rabbit. And um, I think Charlotte becomes addicted to this cute little pink rabbit. And I said to my friend, I think I need one of those. And also this friend, she had a long distance relationship. So she was definitely a perfect candidate for, for the rabbit as well. So anyway, we went to a sex shop one day and bought two rabbits. Well, of course, we actually got some advice from the girl working in the shop. And at the time, it was around maybe 15 years ago, and it was um, a rabbit vibrator with these pearls inside that actually rotate. And it was made from a material that's no longer used. It's called jelly, which is uh, actually porous and it's dangerous now. And it's also, it was also battery operated. So I used so many batteries, it's unbelievable. However, before I get to the batteries, we actually both went home because we, we were flatmates with our rabbits, feeling very proud of ourselves. We went into our res respective bedrooms to try the rabbit. So I inserted the rabbit, I turned it on and nothing happens. I was expecting, I was expecting it to be like sex when I was penetrated and the orgasm would just come instantly. I would come instantly. And it didn't happen like that. I was kind of bored and I was thinking, oh my God. And I felt almost frustrated and, and angry with myself. And I was thinking, maybe this is overrated. Because I was reading lots of female magazines at the time that were talking about sex toys and even sex toy reviews. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to be a sex toy reviewer? But then when the first sex toy I got didn't even make me come, I thought, I was so disappointed. Anyway, instead of keeping on, instead of insisting and trying again, again, I actually went out of my room and went to the sofa. But my flatmate stayed in her room. And I was wondering what was going on. A few hours later, she emerged with this tired look on her face and disheveled hair and said, oh my God, it's incredible. And I thought, oh my God, it was my idea. And I didn't even have an orgasm. But I didn't lose hope. 
for the next six months, whenever I was a little bit horny, I would try again, again and again. Not not too much. Maybe it could have happened maybe once every two weeks or something. And sometimes just the act of just penetrating myself with this phallus did kind of take the edge off when I was aroused, but unsatisfied. But then one day, I was trying it actually with the next lover, who was also a little bit toxic between you and me. But anyway, um, I he said to me, let me see you use your rabbit. So I got my rabbit and I just used it and I didn't really expect anything to happen. But I was always all, all uh, but I was already aroused because of the situation with him. And then out of the blue, boom, 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 these incredible these incredible spasms occurred between my legs that I didn't even I didn't even expect. It just took me by complete surprise. It was so pleasurable. I had to switch the toy off and just get my breath back, enjoy the spasms. Then I switched it back on again and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So for some time, I actually got used to, I kind of discovered a bit more about my orgasmic response. And when he left, I actually practiced on my own so I could actually replicate this wonderful discovery. And I did that didn't happen all the time. But then I actually learned that I needed to make a mind-body connection to make it happen whenever I wanted it to happen. So then I just started to, I started to really develop my own erotic fantasies and triggers and things that would really help me to have an orgasm in any situation. But on a physical level, I assumed that I needed dual stimulation. I needed the phallus inside me. And I also needed needed those incredible ears from the rabbits that were popular back then because they all had ears and they don't always have ears now. So anyway, that was wonderful. And then one day my rabbit decides to break. I could not believe it. Obviously, if something happens to my sex toys now, I'm a sex toy reviewer. I've got 700 toys. It doesn't really matter because I have so much backup material. But back then there was nothing. And I just remember feeling so disappointed and I didn't really have enough money to get a new one. So it was just incredibly frustrating. I didn't even use my fingers ever. So I didn't ever touch myself hardly. So along with my disappointment, I actually did have some backup toys. Um, I did have um, a bullet vibrator, some pebble vibrators, which um, they call them Leons sometimes. They, they look like computer mouses. I don't know if you can say mouses, you don't really say mice, but you know what I mean, a computer mouse. And I used to think those types of sex toys were not so orgasmic. I used to think it has to be a phallus. They just look good. They look like a paperweight. I'm not sure if they're going to be any good. But um, as I I, the, I had nothing that was going to give me dual stimulation, I was forced in the nicest possible way to make my other toys work for me. So with lots of perseverance, a very active erotic imagination and willpower, I actually made them all work for me and it was fantastic. And actually that toy breaking was a blessing in disguise because it can happen to so many people that you have one way of reaching orgasm and you know that way. And then you do that all all the time. You, you keep doing the same thing to get the same result. And if you do something different, it, sometimes it doesn't work and you go back to that, that whatever it is to make you have an orgasm. Whereas for me, this variety that was introduced meant that the main thing for me in my orgasms was actually in my head, in my erotic imagination, etc. And and then any toy can give me an orgasm because I've developed my erotic fantasies so much. But also at the same time, when I was with a, when I was with a guy, um, enjoying penetration, it was much more of a mindful experience. It was literally the insertion of a penis. And I was like, wow. And I discovered that it's actually a part of my vagina called the A spot, which is which is not spoken about as often as the G spot, but it's a bit deeper in the vagina. And for me, it's really is my hot spot. So anyway, that was all good for a while. And um but when I was but one thing that wasn't so good about this um 
about my orgasmic discoveries back then is that I never used to really enjoy much foreplay with a partner. Um, it always used to be penetration was the main event because obviously if I had orgasms with penetration, then the guy was just in heaven. So that was the main thing. But that's also the case for most couples or most straight couples anyway. Penetration is the main event, but not many women are all as orgasmic as I was through penetration. So in foreplay, whenever a guy went down on me, I never used to maybe have the patience to kind of really enjoy it. Obviously, I did enjoy it sometimes. And what I really enjoyed was seeing a guy enjoy it and a guy who was really into it. And because that's something that really turns me on is when a guy is genuinely into oral sex and they love the taste and they just keep, they want to do it. And, and they also have an erection while they're doing it. They're not just giving a couple of half-hearted licks because they think that's what they should do. So I've really experienced some guys who really have enjoyed my body and that's that's really turned me on. And it didn't really matter to me so much that I wasn't having orgasms through, through cunnilingus. But I used, I used to get very turned on. I would say, condom now, let's have sex. Um, but anyway, as I had a discovered to, I discovered having orgasms with sex toys and without any penetration at all, a few years ago, it could be about seven, eight years ago now, I actually decided to be patient and and not rush the penetration phase of sex and just kind of really lie back and enjoy it. And then I had, it was a New Year's Eve and I was with this guy that I'd, um, I'd met online. <laughs> it was really crazy. But um, I had the most epic oral sex orgasm, which was actually much better than a sex toy. And I remember I was lying down and face up and he was, his head was between my legs. And when I could feel my orgasm coming, I was thinking, oh my God, this is going to be so memorable. And it was so intense that my whole pelvis was like bouncing up and down on the bed and my thighs closed. And I thought, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to break his nose. Oh my God. But I was just like screaming and it was incredible. And obviously he enjoyed seeing me like that. And then he went for a second orgasm. I was like, oh my God, this is like so cool. <laughs> and I also really enjoy when a guy kisses me after going down on me. I remember seeing another episode of Sex and the City when I think it was Miranda and a guy went down on her and kissed her after and she thought it was the most disgusting thing ever. But for me, I'm just like, I love it. I love my own taste. And I love someone. I love it when someone enjoys my taste as well. So yeah, so that's been really, really good for me. Just enjoying my clitoris in different moments. But these days it does take a very, very long time for someone else to give me a clitoral orgasm, but it's always worth the wait. And um, penetration is something that's a bit more mindful. And then clitor um, clitoral orgasms are a bit more in my head. But let's let me just correct myself there because there are not vaginal and clitoral orgasms. There are orgasms and they can be provoked by clitoral stimulation or vaginal stimulation, which is something I I discovered much later. So in actual fact, it wasn't like what I was reading in those magazines that said women are vaginal or clitoral. We can be both. And I always say to myself, why choose if you can have both? That's And that's how I'm living my orgasmic lifestyle at the moment. So yeah, that's the story of my clitoral awakening. Another thing that's very important about the clitoris, for sometimes, for me at least, when I'm with a person and they give me, they go down on me and they stimulate my clitoris, it takes a really long time. It takes much longer than with a, with a sex toy. But the orgasm is often a lot more intense. And even though there are many different types of sex toys now, they cannot... They cannot replace a skilled cunnilinguist, a cunnilinguist. <laughs> so that's my personal opinion and my personal experience. However, a vibrator is a bit more kind of, I don't know how to describe it, probably a bit more efficient, but um, yeah, because obviously you, you can control the uh, the pressure, the, the place and all of those things. 
whereas with a person it might not always be constant it might there's a build up and um yeah it's a bit slower at least that's my experience but um i'm happy that i can actually enjoy both ways and it's for me it's no longer a question of clitoral or vaginal i'm both i always say why choose if you can have both now it's time for this episode's interview I'm going to be speaking to Dr. Laurie Mintz, author of Becoming Clitorate. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a real pleasure because I always feel that when I read someone's book that I have some kind of connection. It's a very intimate feeling. And then actually speaking to the author is a very special thing. <laughs> so well, it's my so honor and I thank you for reading my book. Yeah, it was great. Oh. I really loved it. Oh, good. So welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast, and thank you so much for taking part in this interview. I came across your book when I was looking for female sexuality books in um, online, and then I just saw Becoming Clitorate, and I, I thought, what a great title, so I bought it immediately. So that, would you like to tell us what Becoming Clitorate means exactly? Absolutely. I'd be delighted to. So Becoming Clitorate is a play on words, and it is about being literate or knowledgeable about the clitoris, um, which is the you know main and most important organ for female sexual pleasure. Fantastic. So what inspired you to actually write it? What inspired me was my students, to be um, frank with you. I teach human sexuality to about 150 students a year. And they, when I was teaching them about female pleasure, female genital anatomy, the orgasm gap and the pain behind it really came to light for me that my students, my women students were really struggling to orgasm. My male students were saying like, I don't know how to make a woman orgasm quote. And none of them knew about the clitoris, like the vast majority thought from watching a combination of um, our lacking sex ed system here and, you know, pornography, which I'm not against, but it's, you know, bad role modeling. Mm -hmm. They really thought they were supposed to orgasm from intercourse. So I started sort of teaching even more details to close the orgasm gap. And I would get notes from my students saying, you know, thanks to your class, I'm orgasmic. Thanks to your class, my girlfriend's orgasmic. And I thought, I can't believe that this whole body of knowledge that I learned in the 60s, you know, during my coming of age, if you will, had been lost to a whole generation. And so I thought I need to get this out there beyond my one classroom. And that's what inspired me to write Becoming Clitoris. Fantastic. So what inspired you to actually become a sex therapist in the first place? I read that you've got over 25 years experience. So what inspired you to take this route? Oh, that's a great question. Um, honestly, I, I always knew I wanted to be a psychologist and um, I received no training in sexuality as most psychologists or physicians don't, unfortunately. But I was always comfortable with the topic, probably because of the way my mother raised me and knew it was a very important part of well-being in life. So I would always ask my clients, like, anything about your sex life you want to talk about? And the reply was always almost yes, but if you wouldn't have asked, I wouldn't have told you. And so that inspired me to do a, you know, a deeper dive and get into this area. Fantastic. So going back to um, orgasms during penetration, I saw your TED talk yesterday and you said that how can I have an orgasm during penetration was the number one question that you received from women. And in your book, I saw a very interesting pie chart about the female orgasm that showed that only 4% of women climax irregularly through in intercourse alone. Do you, think, do you think there's any way that this percentage could increase or is it just the wrong organ? <laughs> I think that it's the wrong organ. Um, okay. I mean, some people will, you know, I, I really take issue with like sex educators and, you know, doctors or social media influencers who, who say, oh, you can, I can do this so you can too. Just relax or do this or do that. And for some women, you know, most women, it's really a biological impossibility. Their clitoris is not getting stimulated enough through penetration, despite 
the fact that yes, penetration does stimulate the internal clitoris. Um, most women need external clitoral stimulation, either alone or coupled with penetration. So yes, I think we could increase that, but only by including clitoral stimulation because the pie chart you're referring to is studies I've done over you know many years with thousands of my students asking them anonymously, what's your most reliable route to orgasm? And that only 4% say penetration alone. The rest either don't orgasm or say clitoral stimulation alone or clitoral stimulation coupled with penetration. Fantastic. So I also saw in your TED talk that you discussed how magazines address the subject of orgasm during penetration with article titles such as best positions for a guaranteed orgasm during penetration and similar. Speaking of magazines, I personally got my sex education from sex columns in women's magazines because when I was growing up, I went to Catholic schools, Catholic education, so that the female orgasm and clitoris do not, are not part of the vocabulary, as you might imagine. And then yes. in magazines, I was reading things like women were either clitoral or vaginal. What do you think of this? I mean, are there clitoral orgasms, vaginal orgasms? What, about, what do you think about blended orgasms? Okay, so that whole idea of vaginal versus uh, clitoral orgasms goes all the way back to Freud, mm. who is the one who first, you know, distinguished um, clitoral and vaginal orgasms. And he said, and this caused harm that we're still dealing with today, he said that once a woman is mature, she will transfer her feelings from her clitoris to her vagina. That's like saying when you're mature, you'll start breathing out of your ears instead of your nose. I mean, it's just insane. We don't transfer, you know, our feelings from one organ to the other. Um, in terms of what do I think about the distinction, are there different kinds, clitoral, vaginal, blended, G-spot orgasms? Um, this is an area I address in my book very briefly. Um, and basically what I say there is we don't know the answer to that. Scientists are still debating it, um, and there's different camps. So one camp says, yes, there are different orgasm, types of orgasms, and they say the, the evidence for that is, A, women say they feel different, and B, um, the, the vet, vagina and clitoris are go to the brain through a different nerve pathway. So they say, yes, there's different kinds. The other camp says all orgasms are clitoral no matter where the stimulation occurs because the clitoris is involved regardless of where you're being stimulated. So they say all orgasms are clitoral. And then there's another camp that says, you know, really, we should stop asking this question because there aren't different parts of women's genitals. It's just one big unit, and we should stop making this distinction based on biology. And then there's another way of thinking, which is why is this question so important in the first place? Like, unless you're a scientist trying to help women with a spinal cord injury, orgasm, or just curious, but why is this scientifically, but why is this so important to the popular press and to women? And it is the answer to that. Like, we don't ask, are there different types of male orgasms? That You don't see that question as much in the literature or in the popular press, I'm sorry. And so, you know, it's only when it comes to women's orgasms that we distinguish types and by doing so declare one superior over the other and one is a better goal to strive for. So what I would say is scientifically, we don't know the answer, but culturally, I think we have to examine why is this question so important? I think it's important. I think maybe people are seeing that in, all, in porn, obviously it's fake, but then they're just making it, they're seeing a massive difference between what's on the screen and what's in their bed, perhaps. Oh, that's true. Yes. Which is the source of so much pain. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. 
And I must confess that I am part of the 4%. So I always felt very lucky when I was reading all these things in women's magazines, when I was discovering my um, sexuality, that I can come, I can have an orgasm from penetration alone. And for me, it just seems to be easier and faster than with clitoral stimulation. And um, so I discovered this the second time I had had um, penetration. So it was completely like mind blowing. Um, but then as I was reading these magazines that were telling me I was clitoral or vaginal, then I, I ignored my clitoris for a long, long, long time. And even during cunnilingus, I would say after a while, even though it was nice, I yeah, stopped just uh, let's have sex now. <laughs> let's, let's have penetration now. And then I got my first rabbit vibrator in my late, late twenties. And that was just, Oh my God, I had and an orgasm from clitoral stimulation. And it was, it was so mind blowing because it was, it was kind of um, liberating on an emotional level as well as physical, because before that time I was kind of relying on maybe men for orgasms. And, and sometimes that, that meant toxic relationships. So I just felt this kind of like sexual dependence on, on men. And um, so do you think that becoming clitorate can be a transformative experience for most women? Well, first of all, thank you for sharing your experience. Um, and it's, it's, it is, um, you know, I, I was very aware when I wrote Becoming Clitorate that I certainly didn't want to make the 4%, <laughs> you know, feel that something's wrong with them. But your story tells me a bit that two things, um, and then I will answer your question, that, um, you know, it's um, no matter how we orgasm or what our bodies do, there's always some sense of, am I okay? Whether mm -hmm. you're in the 4% or the 96%. I mean, women are so socialized, right? To question if we're okay. Um, so I'm glad you still found my book really useful, even though it was really aimed at the 96% who <laughs> thought they should be in the 4%, not the 4% who, you know, wondered about the 96%. But yes, I think it can be liberating for anyone because I do hope that the message I gave in the book is however you orgasm is fine and stop feeling like there's something wrong with you. Um, and also I hope it gave other women what it sounds like it gave you, which is just sort of permission to embrace your body more in whatever it does. And, you know, for you, it sounds like you discovered blended orgasms, the rabbit vibrator, or what is called blended orgasms or stimulation through both the clitoris and the vagina. What so, happened with me though is, is my rabbit actually broke. <laughs> Because I, oh, I no. thought I needed blended um, orgasms, um, blended um, stimulation, shall we say. And then I, I used the kind of other toy. Because you know when you use the same thing over and over again, you get used to it. And then, um, so I was kind of forced in the nicest possible way to actually use some of my other toys that I, I found, I thought were unsuccessful until that moment. So the, the situation I was put in was, made me discover, let's say, bullet vibration, vibrators and kind of pebble types. So I, I found that I was having orgasms just from external stimulation i just found it so 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 liberating because in oh, the past I'd, I'd always i'd always always rushed people with cunnilingus you know just to mm. kind of get to the stimulate the penetration part or i was with toxic guys you know like a lot, I, love, I think a lot of women are in that situation where they're in a relationship because the sex is really good but the guy's toxic emotionally <laughs> so i felt liberated from those types of situations when i knew that i could give myself that incredible pleasure so yes. So oh, that's yeah. great. No, it's yeah. not strange at all. It's wonderful. It's like you <laughs> learn to rely on yourself, you know, Yeah. and that you did that by discovering, um, by having your vibrator break and finding <laughs> other ways. I think that's fabulous. That is such a great story. But do you find with other women who become clitorate that, that it's a really transformative experience on other levels, not just physical, but like emotionally, perhaps? Oh, th thank you for bringing me back to that topic. Yes, I cannot tell you how many women have told me that after um, becoming clitorate, after learning their bodies and embracing their bodies and feeling empowered, that not only did they feel happier in the bedroom, but that it had ripple effects. I've had women say they felt more confident at work, at school, um, in general conversations. That it, you know, that there it was their confidence in the bedroom spilled out to the rest of their life, and their empowerment in the bedroom 
led to empowerment outside of the bedroom. Fantastic. So not not just me then. (laughs) So so according to your book, also another interesting, more interesting stats. I read that heterosexual hookup sex seems to be very unsatisfactory for women. So what did you discover exactly? Oh, that is the place where women are having the least orgasms. So Mm -hmm. basically the orgasm gap is, you know, the, this finding across multiple studies that in heterosexual sex, women have fewer orgasms than men. And nowhere is that statistic more dismal than in hookup sex. Um, that in my research, I found that interestingly, only 4% of women orgasm during hookup sex. And I, I didn't say this in the book because it was too complicated to try to explain, but I do this study every year. I ask, what's your most reliable route to orgasm? And then months later in the class, I do this poll about do orgasm during hookup sex. And 4% is the average, but what has fascinated me over the years is that if, say, in one class, 2% of women say their most reliable route to orgasm is um, penetration, in that same class, two months later, 2% will say they orgasm with hookup sex. Same with 3%, 4%. So basically, what does that tell us? Like, there is very little attention to women's pleasure to clitoral stimulation during hookup sex. It's all about the penetration. Um, and because of that, it's the most dismal statistics of all. In my study, as I think I just said, 4% of women versus 55% of men say they orgasm during first-time hookup sex. And there's other studies with very similar statistics, like you know, 5%, 7% kind of thing. Interesting. So we don't see much clitoral. I'm, I'm not really um, a porn consumer. <clears throat> um, I don't really, I, th- I think it's quite strange, really. I just think it's all a bit too aggressive for me. But talking about porn, we don't see much clitoral stimulation in porn. What do you think the fellatio cunnilingus ratio might be? <laughs> in, in porn or in yeah. general? I don't know about in porn. Um, I can't answer that, but I can say there have been studies of women's orgasm in porn. And in fact, the orgasm gap exists there, that mm-hmm. women are shown orgasming less than men. And mm-hmm. if they do orgasm, it's usually shown via penetration. But I do know that there is a, you know, an oral sex disparity in heterosexual relationships, particularly hookup relationships, that very few women are receiving oral sex in hookups and very many men are. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because I mean, I actually, I saw an interview with a, with a porn star a few years ago, a female porn star, and she just said that there, there is no kind of lingus in porn, which I thought was an interesting reflection. So going back to yes. porn, so what do you think, do you think porn influences clitoracy or lack of clitoracy? What role does it play? Oh, such a good question. Um, I think that it does, although it's here to stay. And, you know, honestly, I have nothing against porn. And sometimes I even recommend it to clients, you know, who want to be visually aroused, who are having trouble getting aroused. Um, And there's even feminist porn now. But like you, I'm not a big porn consumer. It doesn't, it's just not my thing. Um, But I do think that it influences young people, especially because with a lack of sex education to correct the fact that, hey, this is acting, this is not real. Um, People, young people are getting their ideas about sex, their role models through porn. And young women come to expect orgasms through penetration and young men come to expect and believe that their penis is the key to women's pleasure and that they have they must learn to thrust hard and last long to quote give a woman an orgasm Mm. 
Definitely. And something else I really am um, glad, glad you mentioned in your book was um, the vocabulary we use to re- refer to our genitals. And do you think this could be taught in childhood to kind of overcome the shame because words are important? For example, many parents make up silly names when they teach their children about body parts. I know a friend who told her daughter that her genitals were called the Auntie Mary. I mean, isn't that weird? Oh, <laughs> I, mean, I have an Auntie Mary. That'd be just so weird, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. No, I mean, thank you for bringing up the language piece, um, Venus, because honestly, that was my favorite chapter in the whole book um, and the funnest to write. And I have so much passion about the language we use. Mm-hmm. Um, as And I think language reflects and perpetuates this problem. You know, we call, um, we use the word sex and intercourse synonymously. Mm-hmm. Like that's, they're the same, even though most women don't orgasm from intercourse. We use the term foreplay as if it's just a lead up to this big main event, even though those include the activities that are most likely to bring women to orgasm. And we call our entire genitals a vagina or some, mm-hmm. you know, and, it, and that erases our most pleasurable part, the clitoris. It's linguistically erases it. So yes, I think language is essential. And I think that if children were taught like without shame and they are in the Netherlands, for example, that that is just like this, this is your, just like this is your nose and this is your ear, mm-hmm, you know, exactly. this is your, this is your vulva. This is in your vulva. You'll find your clitoris. You'll find your vaginal opening. Like what is wrong with sharing it because it perpetuates the shame. It's so shameful that we can't even say it out loud. We have yeah, to call it Aunt Mary, right? Yeah. Because imagine, I mean, that girl is going to know by the time she's about eight or nine that it's not called Auntie Mary. And if she has a, an, an issue with that area, how is she going to talk about it with her, with her mother or with a doctor or something? Because I think a lot of parents also don't know the words, don't know the word vulva. We don't hear that word often enough. It's a vagina. I saw a program about naked dating once. I don't know if you've seen this program. It's called Naked Attraction. And the um, host said to the contestant, so you like a shaved vagina then? <laughs> I was thinking, this is terrible. This is what people think. <laughs> they don't, right. They don't you cannot shave enough. a vagina. You can't <laughs> shave a vagina, right? In, in fact, Harriet Lerner, who's an author I greatly admire, years ago wrote an article about the vagina uh, monologues, which is, I love Eve, Eve Ensler's work. I love the play. But she basically said, like, it isn't the vagina monologues. Like, in, in, in the word, vagina is used throughout there, and it doesn't make sense unless you substitute the right words. Because, for example, you don't shave a vagina. Mm. And I know some people think this is like, oh, you know, you're, you know, splitting hairs, but what's named doesn't exist. And in fact, there's even people are uncomfortable with um, the word clitoris and in fact there was one study that even women who are comfortable just saying that word are more orgasmic which makes sense right because they're able to use that word and embrace it and you know tell their partners what they like yeah exactly exactly so we don't have a word for it in childhood then that translates to our intimate adult relationships i think exactly exactly one thing I'm very curious about, because I'm a professional sex toy designer and reviewer and all of that. I've got 700 sex toys. Oh, my. That's <laughs> just quite <laughs> good. You? I've got a whole bedroom full of them, a spare bedroom. Um, but someone, I always get asked about this, um, is dead vagina syndrome a thing? That is to say, can vibrators cause a decrease in vaginal sensitivity or should that be clitoral sensitivity but i saw in your book that you discussed clitoral sensitivity in rabbits and that it actually increased with the use of rabbit of rabbits of rabbits literally rabbit vibrators (laughs) it's a bit of a freudian slip there but yes do you think um what do you think about this dead vagina syndrome and yeah i think it's another way to scare women um, away mm-hmm. from vibrators, which we know are very effective. We know mm-hmm. vibra- vulvas respond incredibly well to vibration. People have been using vibrators for centuries in different forms or another. And no, I think it's, you know, yes, if you use it too much, you could get a little numb. 
But you know what the solution to that is? You stop using it for a few minutes or an hour. It's sort of like if you ever ridden your bike for too long, your your rear end gets numb. What's mm-hmm. the solution to that? It's not not riding your bike again. It's get off the bike and take a break. So no, I I think that's another myth that is harmful to women's sexuality because the research is so clear that women who use vibrators have easier and more frequent orgasms and that a male partner's acceptance of his uh, partner's vibrator usage is highly related to her sexual satisfaction. Absolutely. And, and for me, I only had my first orgasms through Cunnilingus maybe five, six years ago. And it was just such an incredible moment because I've been a sex blogger for 12 years. It's always nice to know that you don't know everything and you haven't experienced everything, you know? So it was, it was an incredible moment. And I think that was because of my, you know, clitoral stimulation through vibration and just getting to know my body on a different, on a different level. So yeah, yeah you got used to that mm. type of stimulation. You learned to embrace it. And so you could then mm. get that stimulation. I think that's, you know, it's, it's, that's fantastic. And um, what advice would you give men who want to help their female partners become clitorate, but the female partners are unable to relax, let go and enjoy it? Because I know a lot, of, a lot of men love cunnilingus they are cunnilinguists I like to call them and they they enjoy they, they actually get aroused by performing oral sex yet women can be maybe ashamed of the smell the appearance and all of those things so it's kind mm. of nice that there are guys like that <laughs> I've encountered yeah. a few and it's, it's fantastic yeah but I mean, what I would, would you advise someone like that who's dying to kind of go down on his partner for half an hour and and she's not relaxed I think well first of all don't pressure her, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, pressure and sex don't mix well. And if she's not comfortable with it, that's the first and foremost thing to respect. Um, second of all, a conversation out of the bedroom, because sometimes maybe, like you're saying, she might like it if she could let herself go. And to, you know, a conversation out of the bedroom, like, I really like pleasuring you. I really like going down on you. You know, this is like, you know, I know you sometimes, you know, say end it, end it. It's fine to, you know, go stop. But, you know, I like it. I'm happy to go as long as you want. I'd love to give you that pleasure and just express that and see where that goes. Fantastic. You know, there was an episode of Sex and City years ago when Miranda was complaining that the guy kissed her after going down on her. And I must, I love that. (laughs) I think it's really erotic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and see, I think it's like, this is where it's so important to know that everybody loves something different and there's no right or wrong. Like, you know, and some people wouldn't like that. Some people find it incredibly erotic and whatever works for you is fantastic and it's a matter of communicating that to your partner definitely one thing i've i've noticed that's improved during my time as a sex blogger and also a sex toy user is that sex toy envy among straight men is actually getting better i remember years ago when they maybe when um sex toys were more phallic like the rabbit there was a lot more sex toy envy whereas now i think men are way more open to to sharing sex toy experiences what do you think about that what's your opinion do you think anything it's improved i hope so mm-hmm. um i i certainly don't have any research you know before or after but i do see more i think we still have a ways to go but I do see more and more men embracing, being interested in um, in uh, in using sex toys with their partners. But then, so in some cases, having stronger orgasms with a sex toy than with a partner can be off-putting for some people because they might feel threatened by it. What advice would you give to someone in that situation who's they seem to be having a better time with the toy? To uh, the woman or the man or both. Well, usually if it's um the woman i guess i mean um, that's the kind of most sex toys are for women i guess no general. but i mean like the advice that i would give to men to i'm sorry I misunderstood okay so because i was actually I, speaking to someone at the weekend about this and he was fascinated by my um by my career and he said he would not like to see a woman enjoy a toy more than his dick <laughs> see, okay see that's what i was trying to get at so let me let, that's so common so let me address both um what i would say to women 
um, which is the research, right? That, you know, this is something that your vulva likes. The research is really clear. Clitorises respond incredibly well to vibration. Um, and that's totally fine. How, you know, the idea that you should be, a, that stop shooting on yourself. Stop saying, I should orgasm this way. I should orgasm that way. That that's an idea that whose time it is to end. And if you enjoy orgasming with a vibrator, then keep doing it and bring it into your encounters. We don't tell men to stop orgasming through penile stimulation or intercourse or whatever their preferred mode is. We It's only women where we find this really effective way and we say, ooh, don't do that. You'll get addicted or it's bad. Mm-hmm. And to men, I think it's a matter of education that you know, the, if they say, I don't want her to enjoy a vibrator more than my dick, they're, they're still under the fallacy that their penises are essential to female pleasure. And that there's a great book called She Comes First by Ian Kerner, which is all about cunnilingus. And he, you know, he does what I try to do as well, but from a male perspective and about oral sex and really saying that, once as a man you embrace and understand that women's key to pleasure is clitoral stimulation that you can have better sex yourself because it takes off the pressure to thrust hard last long and you know that it takes away that this is some achievement that you need to do and you can relax and enjoy sex more and you know if the whole point is that you want your partner to be satisfied why not have her be satisfied by what really satisfies her instead of some mythical thing that won't really work? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a fantasy. I mean, I, I was trying a, a male test um, sex toy last night and I actually love seeing the reactions. <laughs> I think it's real turn on. So now for some um, shorter questions. So what is, it, could, it doesn't have to be related to, to sex or it could be, depends. What is the book that changed your life? Oh my gosh, what a question. Um, the book that changed my life. Well, it could um, be a few. Uh, are you talking about in my childhood or my adult life? Or, or in general, it could be any, anything, a book that had a huge impact on you. I'm really into okay. reading, you see, so I'm going to have a reading part of this podcast. Okay. When I was a kid, my mother, who has now passed away, had a book that was her favorite. I mean, I don't even know if you can get it anymore, but she read it so many times and she gave it to me. And I think even, I don't even remember the details of it, but I remember the name Marjorie Morningstar. And that um, had a great impact on me. I think it just made me like to read. Um, And then another book that I love that I think was my favorite book ever is The Color of Water. Oh, sounds nice. Um, actually it's, um, it's actually, um, a story of a black man who was raised by his white mother. It's an autobiographical memoir. Um, and it's, um, it it just was a powerful, powerful book. So that I remember, I mean, there's so many, but I think I'll, um, I'll, um, I'll stop there. Oh, cool. So what was the last book you read or what are you reading now? Do you like to read? Um, I do like, I'll be honest with you, since I have, um, been writing so much, I don't read as much because Mm -hmm. I I spend all the day in front of the computer. When I get in bed at night, I literally want to watch a kind of mindless TV show rather than read. Mm -hmm. So I generally, um, read on vacations and I usually alternate between some fiction and nonfiction book. Um, And the sex book I'm currently reading right now is by Ian Kerner called Tell Me About the Last Time You Had Sex. Um, And um, I am also currently, I'd have to get my Kindle to tell you what the other book I'm reading is. That's how bad my memory is. So um, nothing, that's the one that comes to me right now that I am reading. Fantastic. I'll check it out because I'm always reading. Um, so and some advice for our audience. How, how, do you, how can our audience live a more orgasmic lifestyle? Basically, I think that if you define orgasm as pleasure 
and in mindful pleasure, right? Because to create, to have an orgasm requires embracing pleasure, and it also requires you to stop analyzing, stop thinking, just be in the moment, put your mind and body in the same place, like notice when your mind wanders and instead bring it back to the present moment. So I think the best advice for living an orgasmic life is one, embrace pleasure, two, practice mindfulness, and three, in terms of orgasms in general, especially for women, like embrace your clitoris, explore your body, get to know it, um, call it by the right name, get this, and if we're talking about heterosexual women, get the same type of pleasure, the same type of stimulation alone with a partner as you get alone many of us will you know stimulate ourselves externally alone and then expect to orgasm from penetration when with a man so it's just a simple tip get the same type of stimulation alone and with a partner as you do alone including bring your vibrator in so um attitude mindfulness and targeted stimulation (laughs) fantastic advice so where can people find you Thank you for asking. Yes, thank you. Um, my handle on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook is all the same, and it's the same as my website, um, which is Dr. Lori Mintz, D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E-M-I-N-T-Z. My website is www.drlorimintz.com, and if you go there, you'll find links to my books, you'll find links to my social media, um, etc. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me today. It's a huge honor and um, I'm so glad it all worked out. So thank well, you so thank, much. Thank you for um, interviewing me. It was, it was so delightful to talk to you. Thank you. The book I'm reading now is The Real Self-Love Handbook by Dr. Andrea Pennington. I'm reading this book because Andrea, Dr. Andrea Pennington, has kindly agreed to be interviewed by me on this podcast. So, of course, I had to read her book and self-love. Well, this podcast is all about self-love and I'm all about self-love. And so I thought it would be a very interesting book to read. And what's interesting about this, which I still haven't finished it, there are lots of exercises in it that help you to kind of really know yourself. I think it's so important to to know yourself. And they do say, you know, you've heard the, may have heard the expression, know thyself, but what does it really mean? And I find that when I have been reading this book, I've actually connected with some parts of me from my childhood and my younger years that have always been present. It's really an exercise of getting to know myself and my strengths. And in a parallel fashion, in, uh, in parallel to this, I'm actually doing therapy. I'm doing, um, I've been doing therapy now for about three or four months. And I'm not too happy with the therapy I'm receiving because it's all psychoanalysis and all this emphasis on the past and traumas and um, just really just too much focus on the past. Whereas I believe in spirituality, everything is more about the present. The present is all we have. So instead of focusing on the past, which the past is very important. What I like about this book about the real self-love is that it focuses on the past, but kind of good things in life. For example, thinking about your peak experiences in life. I think that's so interesting. And it just gives you lots of tools to kind of really be compassionate with yourself and get to know yourself. I'm just seeing a lots of things in me now that have always been present in me and that are really important and are kind of really part of my of my personality even though I didn't forget them it's just a real nice exercise to kind of get to know myself again and when you know yourself then I think lots of things in life can fall into place anyway about this book again it's a proven five step process to liberate your authentic self build resilience and live an epic life. And that's something I am looking forward to doing and I'm hopefully doing it. And um, we're all on a journey, I suppose. And let me just read something from the blurb here. As a functional depressive, Dr. Andrea enjoyed a how enjoyed a high powered media career with all the outer appearances of success, but she was miserable inside. 
After years of battling imposter syndrome, constantly striving for perfection, a spiritual awakening prompted her to break free as her authentic self. Inspired to help others awaken their true self, and after more than a decade of research and experience with her patients, a five-step self-discovery framework emerged called the Cornerstone Process, which she expertly presents in this book. I think I'm at stage four now. So obviously, when we meet again in a couple of weeks, I will be a graduate of the Real Self-Love Handbook. But I can already say that I'm I'm having lots of... Um, lots of enlightening moments. And there are some exercises in it that, that help you to get to know yourself and, and remember good things. For example, something I love here, there's something about a, a peak experience in the past. And that's not something I, I'm doing in my therapy. My therapy is all about traumas and just bad stuff when you go back in the past. But it's kind of really empowering to think about peak experiences. And um, anyway, this says peak experience, blah, 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 how I made it happen and which strengths were active, why I did it, what motivated me to do it, and my underlying paradigm. So I think this is interesting because when I think about one of my peak experiences in my life, it was when I was living in Paris and I and I met a group of people who were all from different countries. And for the first time in my life, I actually had a group of friends and I had the same relationship with all members of that group. Whereas I've always been a kind of, if I'm, if I'm in a group, I'm always friends with one or two people in that group more than the others. And maybe have some issues with connecting with people sometimes, or I just don't find I don't know, the stimulation or the inspiration. But at that moment of my life, I just remember how much I used to laugh and, and how much these people meant to me. And it's interesting when I think about the next question here is how I made it happen and which strengths were active. Well, and also why I did it, what motivated me to do it. Well, I was driven by loneliness because I was actually living in a studio apartment in Paris and at a time when there was no internet, social media, and spending time alone was um, much more challenging without those things in my life for sure. And I tried to change the situation and I joined a class of French people, of French for foreigners. And that's where I met all these people. And I was actually, they, they absolutely changed my life. So I was actually driven by something you know, quite sad. And it's really empowering to think about that. Whenever you're sad in life, you could be just around the corner of some of your peak experiences. That's made me quite excited. And um, yes, and also it, there is a, a link to a personality quiz. And um, I, I do love personality quizzes. But what I found was um, something that's very important for me is actually humor in my life. And it got to me, it was one of my number one values, I think. So I think that's really insightful for me about, it is something that's lacking from my life now is actually humor and the kind of group of people that, that I really connect with and I can laugh with to the point where my stomach's hurting. I do miss that, definitely. But it's not been easy with all the COVID restrictions and um, social distancing, but um, hopefully... I will be on my way to that. And this book is going to help me love myself in many other ways as well. But I'm already doing lots of self-love. In fact, every day when I go to bed, I have um, a journal and I write three things of self-love that I did that day. So that's something I'm already doing. So, And I also created a, or I opened a self-love bank account, which I highly recommend. And with that money in that bank account, it's for holidays, it's for clothes, massages, and yeah, lots of things to actually spoil myself. So you can never love yourself enough. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing Get comfortable, take a deep breath, and enjoy.
grateful for my clitoris. I love my clitoris. The clitoris is the only organ designed for pleasure, and I am happy to have one. I am grateful for the 8,000 nerve endings in my clitoris, all designed to provide me with pleasure. My clitoris helps me to enjoy my body. Thank you for my clitoris. I am grateful for my clitoris. I love my clitoris. My clitoris helps me to enjoy my sexuality. The pleasure I feel in my clitoris can be felt throughout my entire pelvic area, affecting 15,000 nerve endings. Only a quarter of the clitoris is visible. The rest is inside me. And although I can't see most of it, I can definitely feel it. Thank you for my clitoris. I am grateful for my clitoris. I love my clitoris. It feels good when I stimulate my clitoris. I'm getting to know how my clitoris responds to different types of stimulation. I am able to let go and feel aroused. Thank you for my clitoris. I am grateful for my clitoris. I love my clitoris. I am receptive to the joy my clitoris can give me. My clitoris can help me reach orgasm. My clitoris is a divine gift and I truly appreciate it. Thank you for my clitoris. I am grateful for my clitoris. I love my clitoris. I am able to show my partner how to touch my clitoris. I am able to let go of my inhibitions and enjoy my clitoral power. My clitoral pleasure is important. Thank you for my clitoris. To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening, have an orgasmic week, and make sure every day is a climax. Thank you.